Conservative leader Pierre Polyev took aim at Prime Minister Justin Trudeau as both leaders attended the Calgary Stampede over the weekend. Canadians from across the country are feeling the impact of the Trudeau government's second carbon tax at the gas pumps. The Canadian Armed Forces are struggling to recruit new members. Their solution? More woke policies. Hello Canada, it's Monday, July 10th, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Rachel Emanuel. And I'm Cosman Georgia. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. Speaking at a Conservative Party of Canada Calgary Stampede event on Saturday evening, Conservative leader Pierre Polyev said Prime Minister Justin Trudeau opposes liberalism by encroaching on Canadians' freedoms at every corner. Polyev said, quote, What we see with Justin Trudeau today is an entirely different ideological creature. This is not a more extreme form of liberalism. This is the opposite of liberalism. Wokeism is about nothing more than control. More power in his hands, less freedom for the people. Polyev also took aim at Trudeau's carbon taxes, including the recently implemented clean fuel standard and the government's climate agenda, which he claims has destroyed Alberta's energy sector. The conservative leader said he would, quote, put an end once and for all to the Trudeau mentality that the West should just pay up and shut up. Polyev's stampede events were attended by thousands of supporters. Meanwhile, Trudeau had a few embarrassing moments while visiting the stampede this year, including flipping an undercooked pancake, which then splattered all over the griddle. The prime minister was also booed while speaking at a liberal rally on Saturday morning, including by one proster who yelled, get the WEF out of Canada. It's not terribly surprising that Polyev had a strong reception out here in Alberta. Of course, Albertans love conservatives. We vote for them at every election. Liberals are lucky if they can even manage to squeeze in two seats. But Polyev's speech on Saturday evening was so strong because he's actually from Calgary. This is where he grew up and he was just able to fill it with so many anecdotes about his childhood and about how things have changed since then. I find that he is very successful at really capturing the moment. He's understanding what Canadians are struggling with right now. And he's offering a vision for what life could look like and how it could be better under his government. You know, I didn't uh, follow along every detail of the uh, trip here, but I did see some snippets on, on Twitter and other social media. I think what he's saying here, particularly, he has a pretty good point. The liberals have drifted so far from their origins. You know, they've gone further left than think any government in this country before and instead of their roots which uh, in liberalism are rooted in individualism and freedom they've embraced a sort of identity-based collectivism and we're seeing it everywhere so I think uh, he his decision to keep hammering on this message is really speaking with people especially in Alberta who feel left out by the federal government's policies Obviously, another big moment at the stampede was Trudeau's failed pancake flip. Much has been made of this on the internet over the last couple of days. I wasn't there in person when I originally saw the video. I thought, oh, this has to be edited. It's just too good or too bad, I should say, to be true. But no, it turns out that did in fact happen. And of course, it's just a bad pancake flip. But it was really potentially the worst pancake flip I've ever seen happen at the Calgary Stampede. It's sort of an easy opportunity too. You just have to make sure the pancake is cooked on both sides. I think most political leaders have someone go in and make sure that they're just flipping cooked pancakes. 
but it was super hilarious and of course everyone's like this is pretty indicative of what our country looks like under the Trudeau government. Yeah, I did see that, you know, and it's kind of funny because I posted a video not too long ago and every time Trudeau does these like tries to make himself this uh, ordinary person, it fails. There's a video from like 2015 when he was campaigning and he was trying to put uh, just like hammer a nail into into a wall or like a frame of a building. And it took him about like 20 tries just to get the nail in there with a hammer. And you can see the construction people in the background just kind of like side-eyeing each other. Uh, so it always fails for Trudeau. And I mean, this is a guy who has his own personal chef, perhaps uh, multiple personal chefs who cooks his meals. So it's no surprise he can't uh, flip a pancake. The Trudeau government's second carbon tax, or as they call it, clean fuel regulation, has spiked gas pump prices just a week into its implementation. The new tax, which the government claims will cut carbon emissions from gas and diesel by 2030, took effect July 1st. Fuel costs will increase by 15 cents per liter in the prairies to as much as 24.45 cents per liter in New Brunswick. Provinces continue to push back on the tax, including Alberta Premier Danielle Smith and New Brunswick Premier Blaine Higgs. Smith quoted the parliamentary budget officer's estimate that the tax will cost Albertans more than $1,160 a year, telling reporters that federal government policies are affecting Albertans' living standards. Premier Higgs told reporters on the weekend that he's still hopeful that the federal government will rescind both carbon taxes. Higgs said small businesses are absorbing, quote, the additional costs of the federal government's new regulations. He said, in rural New Brunswick, there may only be one gas station that is family owned. They need to be able to recover these costs or they won't be in a financial position to continue providing fuel to their community and ultimately may be forced to shut down. So, Rachel, you know, we have all these costs being lumped onto consumers, onto small business owners, yet we saw the federal government claiming just this last week, you know, they helped out Canadians with their grocery rebate. But is this like kind of like a a net zero situation financially where the government gives you a little bit of money, but you're actually going to end up paying more in taxes in the long run because of all these new climate regulations. It's definitely that, but I would argue it goes even further than that in that when we look at the grocery rebate, most middle class Canadians are not going to be able to access this new policy. I believe it's about $38,000 a year you have to be earning for to be eligible for the grocery rebate. So that is the absolute like most impoverished class of Canadians. And sure, it's great. They are going to be helped out by this grocery rebate, but there's still millions of Canadians in the middle that we're missing. Most Canadians are earning on average, you know, $54,000, $55,000 a year. So they aren't going to be eligible for this rebate. So they are paying the higher costs up front. And certainly this latest carbon tax is going to result in higher costs at the grocery store as it now costs more to ship our goods across the country. Everybody understands this, but they are still not going to be eligible for these little government handouts, which I am ideologically opposed to, while at the same time understanding 
Canadians really need the help right now and they're paying so much more than they ever have been before. And if you can get a little bit of your money back, great. So let's uh, talk a little bit about the provincial opposition to this. I know you've discussed and written about Danielle Smith sort of taking the lead uh, of creating this kind of conservative coalition opposition to the federal government's clean fuel regulations. They're also coming in with, you know, the clean electricity regulations, which seeks to eliminate uh, natural gas and, and the use of coal from electricity supplies. So what tools do you think they have at their disposal for the premiers to kind of stand up to the federal government and seek the interests of their constituents? Obviously, we know that the provinces haven't been successful at fighting the federal government's carbon taxes. Of course, that went all the way up to the Supreme Court with the Supreme Court ruling in favor of Ottawa. So when we talk about provinces actually being able to fight back, I think one of the best things that they can do right now is to get creative and to find ways to cut taxes at home, but also to increase and boost their own provincial economies. Because while we have this federal government, the reality is that Canadians are going to be paying more. It would be hard for anyone to believe that this current government is actually interested in making life affordable or even livable for the average Canadian. So one of the things that we have here in Alberta, for example, is they've just cut the provincial sales tax on fuel during this increased time of carbon taxes. And that's something they're going to look at doing moving forward, kind of depending on the cost of oil. That's been really helpful here. I think they should continue doing it. I think they should find other ways to pay taxes. I know this current government, they also just kind of gave one-time payments to families with children. You know, that's helpful. There's still people that are falling through the gaps though. But recently at the Calgary Stampede at an event on Sunday evening, Premier Daniel Smith announced that her government was going to be looking at building economic quarters in relationships with other, other provincial partners. She said, we're going to be the leader on this because the federal government is interested in being the leader on this. And those types of economic opportunities is exactly what provinces need to be doing right now to make life more affordable for their citizens. Like I said, the federal government isn't interested in cutting taxes, but if we could all just be earning or saving a little bit of our money elsewhere, I think we could get through these next couple of years. The Trudeau government is struggling to meet Canada's national security and international defense obligations as the Canadian Armed Forces faces a severe shortage of personnel. According to a federal briefing note obtained by Blacklock's reporter, only 5,242 Canadians volunteered to join the Canadian Armed Forces in 2022. That's a 35% drop from 2021. The briefing note, titled Recruitment and Retention, admits that the CAF is struggling to fill its ranks due to the COVID-19 pandemic and challenges related to encouraging people to apply for the service. The document also reveals the government's plan to boost recruitment by lowering standards and promoting diversity over merit. Instead of focusing on attracting qualified Canadians who are willing to serve and defend the country, the government is resorting to identity-based quotas to fill the gaps. The briefing note says the CAF will, quote, streamline and redesign the recruitment process to speed up applications, recognize past experience, and allow permanent residents to apply. It also pushes for more representation of women, Indigenous, and LGBT people in the CAF, claiming a need to, quote, see the Canadian Armed Forces as a first-rate career choice where they will feel welcome, valued, and safe. The briefing note also cites the recent decision to eliminate, quote, binary uniform and appearance choices giving members the option to choose their preferred uniform. 
this whole story doesn't really come as a surprise to me, but it's this last line that I find so hilarious. Maybe if we let people pick their own outfits for the military, they'll be more inclined to join. What a silly proposal. What's your take on this? Well, we actually, I think last year, we got a copy of the uniform policy before it came out and we reported on that. And it's 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 quite bizarre and crazy. You know, they allow things like face tattoos, piercings, colored hair, uh, all types of different things, things that traditionally would not be allowed in a military because, you know, from my understanding, uh, you know, I've had family members who've served in the reserves for some time. Uh, the point of the military is to sort of almost strip that individualization of the person and create a soldier and all soldiers are alike, right? They, they, uh, they, operate as a unit as one body as one team and and to get rid of that sort of cohesive identity it seems to strike against the core principles of what the armed forces is about and that's you know preparing people to uh, defend and potentially die for the security of their nation that's it for today, and don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.